0: and how great he is. Good evening. It is good to be together. If you would like to be turning in your Bibles... Uh, We won't have slides tonight. We'll begin a passage out of our homework for this week, 1 John, the fourth chapter. We'll look at the theme from that and back up and look at a very similar passage that Paul also wrote in 2 Timothy, uh, the first chapter, in just a few moments. So if you want to be going to to 1 John, the fourth chapter, we'll begin there in just a few minutes. What a wonderful, wonderful day it's been, and even this past week, uh, the blessings have flowed in. It was wonderful to be a part of the uh, teacher's banquet, the appreciation banquet, to enjoy that time together and to enjoy the meal, and it's truly delightful. Uh, then, then on Saturday morning, uh, John Coleman delivered a powerful lesson to uh, the men at the men's breakfast, and uh, he gave us all uh, stress balls that, that also have the reminder of the lesson for us to love God and to love God more than anything and anyone and even ourselves. And, uh, and when we can do that, it'll take care of the stresses in our life. And, and then we think about the fact that Griff... And Don are home, and I understand... Uh, that it was a very productive trip. Don said on a scale of 1 to 10, it'd be an 8. So a lot of good things took place. Uh, I also was hearing them tell about the fact that one of their graduates and a dean went out to where one of the students is going to be working and uh, they baptized 20 folks. And another student spoke up and said, Well, last month uh, I baptized 17 folks uh, into Christ and already four this month. And it's just amazing to think that's just two students and two villages they're going to and to think about the, the many students that are going going out, and then the new class that's coming in. It is an exciting work in Sudan, and uh, we're thankful for all of our mission work, but let's be mindful and dedicated ourselves in prayer to God, and let's continually raise up these works to God, and let's make sure that we do everything that is in our power uh, to be a part of these works and, and to glorify God in them. Do keep in mind uh, the opportunity this week, at least one time, to write a note of of encouragement to someone that you think might would benefit from that. And uh, again, if if you're writing to uh, uh, people in general of the the inmates or those participating in RTC, the boxes are in the back. Just a reminder of that. Bring it in Wednesday night or even next Sunday. And uh, but could I urge you to be prayerful and and to be prayerful that your eyes will be open this week that you will see. Who God wants you to see, and that you will have the wisdom to know what to do in that time to show them God's love. We can love or we can practice fear. We can't do both. I know a lot of the time in secular language, those two wouldn't go as as a choice. You have to choose one. But when we look biblically, and as we studied this week in our homework, you saw it. It's black and white, it's very clear. We can either choose fear or we can choose love. We can't choose both. How many times have you found yourself at work knowing what you ought to say about a situation and you bit your tongue, you didn't, you didn't make the stand you should have made, you didn't do what you should have done, and later you regretted it because you knew it was wrong, and if someone came up to you and said, Hey, why didn't you do the right thing? Your sentence would probably start out like this. Well, I was just afraid. How many times have you as parents, how many times have we not done what we know that we ought to done, we ought to have taken a stand, we ought to have done some kind of disciplinary action with our children, and how many times have we not done it, and if the truth was someone came to us and said, you know what you should have done as a parent, why didn't you do it? How many times would our answer be, well, I was just afraid. Fear stops us from being what God has created us to be. Let's read that together in 1 John. In 1 John, the fourth chapter, we're going to pick up in verse 17 to get just the beginning of this little paragraph. I'd like for you to notice especially verse 18 of the Bibles this in your pew. If you, if you're borrowing a Bible out of the pew there, it'd be about page 1084. 1084. Love, this is 1 John 4 and 17. Love has been perfected among us in this. So there, there is a love that is to be perfected in us and among us. And let's see what this is. That we have boldness in the day of judgment. Can you imagine that? How can we stand in boldness? It's not because of our own righteousness. It's because of his righteousness. And the only way we can have his righteousness is because of his love. He first loved us. We receive love. So now we can have his grace. We can have his mercy. We can have redemption. We can know, as a matter of fact, just hold your finger there, flip over one page. Look at the fifth chapter. Look at the fifth chapter, verse 11. You probably underlined this one as you were reading this week. 1 John 5 and 11, and this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life, and this is in His Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, what? that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. Remember, we talked briefly about this last week. And here we are again, looking at fear versus love. And the topic here is love. And he says, because of love, you can stand on the day of judgment with boldness, because God loves you. He keeps his promises, and his promises are powerful. And therefore, if we love God, look what we get to enjoy the rest of 17, the fourth chapter. Because as he is, so are we in this world. Here it is. There is no fear in love. It's just a choice. Fear or love? There's no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear. Because fear involves torment, but he who fears has not been made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. To have a love for God that is so strong to be able to know that as long as our relationship with God and everything about our eternal life is at peace with Him, no matter what happens on this earth, no matter what happens in this physical body, no matter what challenge I face, no matter what accident I'm involved in, no matter what loss I have in my life, to be able to know that my soul is right with God brings peace and courage so that we do not have to be insecure and afraid. Love cast out fear. Now I would like to take you, as we're turning back, I'd, I'd like for you to just turn just a couple of pages to 1 Peter the 4th chapter. Here, we're going to see the topic of what we're talking about. And this is just another passage of introduction. As I was studying this, I couldn't help but think about this particular verse. And then we'll go back and develop a little bit more of Paul saying this. And so what we're doing, we're seeing John say this. And now we're going to stop for just a moment and see Peter's description of of this. And then we'll go back and see Paul's uh, similar writing about this. And so here we are in, in 1 Peter, the fourth chapter. Think about verse one. Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh... "...arm yourself also with the same mind." Now, isn't that an interesting phrase? Arm, that's the idea of be ready to have a weapon that you can protect yourself with... So so you have a weapon. It's not not a handgun. It's not a switchblade. What do you have? You arm yourself with the same mind. It's the mind of Christ. And he just told us the mind that Christ had at the beginning of verse 1, that Christ suffered for us in the flesh. So Christ was willing to suffer for us. We arm ourselves with a mindset that says, You know what? I love God so much. I'm not afraid to suffer. And Satan says well, how, how am I going to get you to sin if you're not afraid to suffer? You've just taken a huge weapon that I have because I can get you to do a lot of things when you're afraid. When you're afraid that somebody's going to laugh at you at school or at work, Satan has you. When you're afraid to take a stand for what's right, to stand up with your children, and you're afraid, what about this? Just the other night, I was on a date, and uh, we stopped at the Tiger Market. It's what you do on good dates, okay? And uh, and so, all I'm trying to do is is buy my lady. She loves the little six ounce uh, Coke bottles, you know, the, the glass ones. And so I knew they had them there. So I I, I pull in there and, and I grab that. And and there was this young lady that I would have thought I would have thought she was probably like. Either a senior or a freshman in college, but she must have been a little bit older than what she looked like And and I walk up to the counter in the middle of a conversation And and yet with her eyes she invites me into the conversation I really don't say much, but you could tell like she wanted me in this conversation And so I walk up and and I put the count the coke on the counter and i'm pulling money out and and she says yeah Their parents were telling them things they couldn't do You know I guess that's good parenting I mean, I never had parents that told me what to do. The truth is, they were, I'm, I'm almost quoting here, they were miserable parents. They never told me anything I couldn't do. You know what? My child, I tell them what they can and can't do. I don't want to be like my parents. We have a society that is afraid. And, and then another phrase she threw in, she said, all my parents wanted to do was be my best friend, and they were afraid to tell me what to do. Isn't that interesting? We can operate by fear, or we can operate by a love for God. And a love for God says, I'll suffer. Now, as strange as this may be, and I, I hope our kids can understand this, but as strange as it, It is better for a parent to suffer and go to bed that night feeling like oh my child My child has rejected me. My child has hurt my feelings because I stood for what is right. That's all right That's the way you ought to go to bed Standing for what is right and don't be afraid of the rejection of your child Don't be afraid to make a stand for what is right and have somebody at your work to reject you Don't be afraid ever to stand with the Lord. And so here, Peter writes, and Peter says, listen, we have a weapon we can fight Satan. And that is a willingness to suffer. As long as I'm willing to suffer, Satan is really handcuffed of what he could do. And then of the, the next passage, and, and anybody that would benefit from this, we don't have time to develop this tonight, but he talks about a real worldly type of living And over the next three or four verses, he talks about pulling away from those wild parties. And and he talks about how people are going to think you're strange because you do it. and, And what is all this in? It's in the context of saying, don't let it bother you. You've made your stand to love God more than anyone, anything. And so because of that, you're not afraid to be rejected. You're not afraid to stand alone. A beautiful thought. Let's study this one more time and just a little more in depth. And we're looking at love or fear. We get to choose, but we can't have both. When Paul was writing 2 Timothy, he was writing at a time that Nero was already in power and was really bringing some horrific persecution upon Christians. He'd already burned the city, but yet he, the only reason he burned the city was he wanted to build a new city, but he didn't want to tell everybody he was burning the city to build a new city because it was their city they lived in too. So he burned the city in order to build a new one, and he blamed the Christians for being the one that burned the city. And so then he began to openly persecute them to back up his statement, and then there became a great movement of persecuting Christians. And history says that he would literally ride around his gardens at night in his chariot and he would tie Christians to stakes and he would light them and there would be human torches lighting his gardens as he rode around. Other times he would wrap them in wild animal skins and he would throw them out into the arenas and and dogs or wild beasts would come in. And there's just a multitude of other ways that he would destroy Christians. Now I want you to think about Here's an older man, Timothy, Here's an older man, Paul, that... You remember, we're reading in 2 Timothy 4. The older man, Paul, this is his last writing. You remember the fourth chapter, verse 6 through 8. He says, the time of my departure has come. He knows that he's about to die. Die of an old age? No, he's not dying of an old age. What is he dying from? You know what it is. It's martyr. This persecution that has broke out is going to take Paul's life. Now, who's Paul? The spiritual father of Timothy. So here we have a young man... He's watching the persecution break out. He's receiving a letter from his spiritual father saying, They're going to kill me. Could you come and visit me before they kill me? If you were Paul in that environment, writing to Timothy, would you have concern that he just might start backing away from Christianity? I would. I'd have concern that I would start backing away from Christianity. And so it's no surprise that within the first few paragraphs of this writing, he talks to him and doesn't elaborate a lot, but he states it very bluntly. You can't operate out of fear because God did not give the spirit of fear. Let's read this. We are in 2 Timothy, the fourth chapter, 1056, the Bible that's in your pews, 1056. He thanks God for the relationship that they share in verse 3, and he mentions in verse 5, when I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and also in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded it is in you also. I want you to note in your mind that genuine faith. We're going to come back and mention that in just a moment. So with that genuine faith, he says in verse 6, therefore I remind you to stir up the gift in your mind, underline that stir up the gift. So he loved the genuine faith that he had, but he knew he needed to stir up the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on the hands. And then of course, verse seven, look at this, but God has not given us a spirit of fear. Well, what did God give us? He gave us a spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind And that links the next paragraph. We'll just read one verse of it. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share with me in what? The sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God. Do you realize in verse 8, he is inviting Timothy into the same kind of relationship that Peter is inviting us into in the fourth chapter in verse 1, where he says, arm your mind with this mindset. What is it you want me to have? I want you to have a mindset that you are willing to suffer. You know that I'm about to suffer. I don't want my sufferings to cause you to become afraid and turn away. I want my sufferings to be an example for you. You continue to be willing to suffer just as I'm willing to suffer and I'm going to die. So what are the things that he said here? Oh, there's so much they said in these few verses, but let's get this. Number one, he knew of his genuine faith. Do you remember that we assume that his grandmother and his mother were converted on the first missionary journey? If you want to hold your finger here, I'm going to read a couple of passages in Acts 14 and then Acts 16. I want you to think about their genuine faith. When he went in to Lystra, the area where Timothy would have lived, he healed a crippled man. And you remember, this stirred the people up so much, so much excitement that the crippled man was healed. They began to bow down and to worship Paul and Barnabas as if they were gods. And when when you glance down in verse 12, it says, Barnabas they called Zeus and Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker. And so they thought that they were gods. And they brought their oxen out, and they were going to make a sacrifice to honor their gods. And immediately they corrected them, no, we're men. You don't worship us. Well, among all of this excitement of look how great and wonderful this Christianity is that Paul and Barnabas had brought into town. Also, there are other Jews in beginning of verse 19 that come down from Antioch and they are just as unexcited as the others were excited. So whereas one group wanted to honor them as gods, the other group wanted to kill them. And as a matter of fact, it says there in verse 19 in the middle of it, they stoned Paul. And dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. However, when the disciples gathered around, he rose up and went into the city. And the next day, he departed with Barnabas to Derby. Can you imagine that? And I don't mean just if you were Paul. I want you to imagine for just a moment if you were the people there. You've just had Christianity introduced to you, and you've been very impressed by the power of the miracle and by the gospel that you've heard so far. And then you're shaken. We were excited. We wanted to call them gods, and now there's people coming in that want to kill them. And you know what? I think they just killed him. Did you see that? They stoned him. He appears to be dead. Well, look, they're dragging him out of the city. And you can imagine the Christians are just following along. And the disciples, the new disciples, they gather around. They're looking. Is he dead? Now, scholars debate whether or not this was a miracle or not. And we can't settle it. Some say this was a miracle. He was dead. And, and God raised him up. The Bible doesn't reveal. It reveals that they thought he was dead. And then, not only is he not dead, he stands up. And he goes back to the house with them. the next morning, he continues on his journey. That's what makes people think it very well could have been a miracle. And, but, but the point is this. What did they learn when Christianity was introduced to them? They learned if you're going to be a Christian, there can be some pretty severe sacrifices that has to be made in your life. His actions were telling them you might need to get ready to suffer if you're going to be a Christian. Now, mothers and grandmothers, and it would be fathers and grandfathers too, but Six years later, this same man that has been out being persecuted while he spreads the gospel comes back through that same area in in chapter 16. Now Timothy is a little bit older. And the brethren tell Paul how he has grown spiritually and how he's a wonderful, faithful Christian man. And Paul wanted him, 16 and 3, wanted to have him to go on with him, and it took him. I know what I'm about to say is not easy, but we've got to say it. We've got to get this. What are you going to do as a mother? Timothy, this is a wonderful opportunity to serve God. You go right on with that great apostle Paul. And you do mission work, son, and I know, I know that that work is dangerous and I may not ever see you again on this side of eternity, but I love you and I want you to go do God's work. Grandson, I couldn't be more prouder of you for you to go and to travel. Yes, I saw him stoned to death and I thought he was dead and I'm sure you're going to run into similar things. But grandson, there's no greater work than the Lord's work. I wonder where love and fear came into this genuine faith that Paul says to Timothy, I know what kind of faith you have. I've seen it from the very beginning of your roots with your grandmother and your mother. I believe there's some little stories like this in the Bible that it's so easy for us to pass over And not realize the depths of their faith by what they did and allowed to do. Do you know? I'm not saying as an intellectual fact you could write down. Do you know this world is not your home? Do you know the sooner you go and be with your Lord, the better off? Do you know that kingdom work is the only work that really matters? And when we go to our home and we live as a faithful Christian, that's kingdom work. And when we go to our schools and live as a faithful Christian, that's kingdom work. And we go to our workplaces and when we have friends and and we go through deep valleys and we go through high mountains and we go through all of those avenues of life and, and we remain faithful to God. Our love for God is unwavering Unwavering because we do not let fear detour us. That's kingdom work. Does that describe us? I believe that it's things like that that Paul had in mind when he said, son, I know your genuine faith. And then in that next verse when he says, now stir up the gift. Think of of just the idea of giftedness. The idea that it's not yours per se. I mean, the source of it. It has been one person's and then gifted to you. Like if I were to tell you right now that this suit was gifted to me. Now it wasn't. But let's just say, if I said this suit was gifted, you might immediately think, I wonder who had it first. Who, who made it possible for David to receive that? Do you realize 1 Peter 4 and 10, the, past, the chapter we just left. Every one of us has a gift. God has provided it for a reason. When we have genuine faith that is built on the love of God, not on fear, we're going to take the giftedness that God gives us and say, what is it that I can do with what God has given me in his kingdom? Now, what would hinder faith? And what would hinder the stirring up, the being zealous with our gifts? What would hinder that? Fear. Fear paralyzes us. It doesn't matter how great your your faith is if you're operating on fear. It doesn't matter how gifted you are if your motive in life is fear instead of love. And so there's no doubt that the power of this paragraph right here lies in verse 7. Where he says, for God has not given us the spirit of fear. What? Of power and of love and of a sound mind. Power. How great is God's power? I'd like for you to back up just a few pages in your Bible to Ephesians. Look in Ephesians. Look at the third chapter. I want you to notice the word power here. And by the way, this is a prayer that Paul is praying for the Christians. Now to him who is able to do, of course, praying to God, to God who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us. Why do we not operate by fear? Because we know that the power we have is not our own. It's like an uh, electrical outlet. We are plugged into God's power, and God can do exceedingly, abundantly, above more than we could ever ask, more than we could ever imagine, more than we could ever think. It's the power of God working in us. Listen, I believe with all my heart God has even greater things planned for Mount Juliet, Tennessee. I'm not talking about for the congregation right now. I'm talking about for the community. I believe with all my heart that God has greater things planned for this community. Now the question is, how's God going to do it? The power is going to come through his church. You and I. How are we going to serve people that are hurting? Second greatest commandment day. How are we going to honor people who are celebrating? How are we going to help mold and train people not to live out of fear, but to live out of love for God? I don't know all the ways, but I know this. God can do it through us in ways we can't even imagine. Chisel a few weeks ago, we stopped by inner city ministry. Brother Lytles just told us a little bit about the beginnings. Did you know that, that the Nashville, Tennessee inner city ministry, did you know that it began with one man and his wife and 16 teenagers in one congregation that decided they wanted to reach out and help underprivileged children? That's how it started out. Now, can you imagine going to those 16 children that just started going to inner city and inviting kids to come inside their church building and those teenagers would study the Bible with them? Can you imagine if you said to them, do you know that over the next several decades, there are going to be tens of thousands of kids that are going to be reached out of what you're starting? And not only here, it's going to be in Chattanooga and it's going to be in Montgomery and I forget the other cities that has started out of the direct work of Nashville, Tennessee, that started out of the direct work of 16 teenagers. God is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above more than we could ever ask or think, but it's through the power that works in us. We can't operate by fear. God does not give us the, the spirit of fear, but instead he gives us a spirit of a power and of love. Love helps us not be abrasive. Love helps keep us in our motives pure and holy and righteous when the love is for God and not an arrogant love for self. But notice, of love and of what? A sound mind. God can give us clear thinking. Right now, if I said get out a piece of paper and just write down one or two things that you wish you had never done, If you could rewind and go back to that day, you would have never done that. Odds are, we usually do things like that when we're short-sighted. When we're not thinking clearly. When we are guided by love for God that looks into eternity... We make different decisions based out of temporal fear of the moment. Tomorrow, you go to school and you make a decision just because you want to be accepted by that group and you're afraid of not being accepted by them instead of a love for God that looks toward eternity and says, what am I going to do? You go to work and do the same thing. We're either going to make a foolish decision or we're going to make a wise decision. We're either going to have a sound mind are not a sound mind. Not a spirit of fear. But a spirit of power and love and a sound mind. Nineteen eighty five. A lot of taste tests were done. Blindfolded. It was settled. It wasn't even close. Coca Cola came out with a new formula that won the taste test every time. You remember the story if you're old enough to remember. It's considered one of the greatest debacles in American business. It's all over shelves, all across America, and even to parts of the world, new Coke was presented. You see, people thought they liked the taste of new Coke, but you know what they didn't want? They didn't want new Coke. So immediately, black markets started being set up. Old Coke was selling for $30 a case. It was on the evening news how much people hated the new Coke. As a matter of fact, one Hollywood producer rented out a wine cellar, and he bought all the cases he could buy of Old Coke. You know, it didn't take long for the evening news to have the president of the company come on. And he said, we just didn't realize the emotional attachment that our customers had to our old Coke product. And so then, the classic returned. The real thing came back to the shelves. Isn't that interesting? How easy it is to make mistakes. some business mistakes happen every day. But what we can't afford is to spend a life of continually making spiritual mistakes. So tonight, I beg you from the Word of God to realize how dangerous it is to make decisions out of fear. But instead, make decisions out of your undying love for God. And let the chips fall where they may. If we can help you love God tonight. Maybe your love for him moves you to want to be baptized into his son. Maybe you've done that and your love moves you to want to come back and be restored and and dedicate your life wholly to God. We'd love to help you and encourage you. We would rejoice. The angels in heaven and God himself would rejoice. If you're thinking, you know what I'm about to say. When we sing this song of encouragement, Satan is going to encourage you to be afraid. Listen, if your life is right with God, that's awesome. But if your life is not right with God, do not let fear stop you from expressing your love to God. Short-term decisions are made out of fear. Long, eternal decisions are made out of a love for God. Do what you need to do tonight. And if we can help you with that, come as we stand and as we sing.